Well, I'm going to say something here in just a second that if you've been with us over the last 15 weeks of studying the book of Joshua might concern you just a bit, but let me assure you, you don't need to be concerned. What I'm going to say is this. Please turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1. Don't be alarmed. We're not starting over. Uh, Oh, I might be able to do better the second time, but we're not going to start over. We will be back, Lord willing, in Joshua uh, chapter 11 next week. And then, uh, as I told you before, we'll be picking up quite a bit of steam as we get into the end of the book of Joshua, the second part, uh, as we'll be taking larger uh, chunks of that passage. But this morning, given the moment that we're in as a church and some stuff that God is doing in us, I wanted to just stop and reflect upon a bigger principle that we see all throughout the book of Joshua. I could preach this message from any text. Joshua 1 is a great place to do it, and I want us to show us that. Uh, Because I think there is something in this moment that God wants to say to us to prepare us for the days ahead. I have to tell you, I would have never imagined, as I studied the book of Joshua and decided to preach it, how practical it would actually be for us. Uh, This is a book which is a model for the Christian life. Uh, You could really say in many ways the book of Exodus is a model of what it means to be saved. As the people watch, as the Lord delivers them, as Exodus 19 says, I've delivered you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. He rescued them uh, from the Egyptians and from slavery as they watched. But you get into the book of Joshua, and Joshua seems to be a model for what it's like to live with Jesus after being saved by him. And that's an important distinction because of what the book of Joshua teaches us about the life of following Jesus Christ. If you wanted a good picture of the life of trusting and following Jesus on a daily basis, the book of Joshua is a great one. I also would have never imagined how much the book of Joshua would be important for us as a church in this moment. My responsibility as your pastor is not just to preach, it is to lead And every time I get up to preach, I'm I'm saying, first of all, what does this text say? And then I'm asking, what is God saying in this text for us as a church? We are a family, and we're moving in a certain direction. And so the reality is, is that I need to be discerning as I'm preaching, God, what are you saying to us? What are you doing in this book that is leading us in the right direction? And it seems to me as if week by week, God continues to bring us to a text in Joshua that is helping us know how to navigate the next steps as a church and as individuals. One of the things I'm most thankful for in the book of Joshua is that this book really shows us how God leads his people to receive everything he has for them. This is the whole point. He is, he is calling them to go take hold of the land, of life as it was meant to be. And so God is saying at the very beginning here, I want you to go take hold of something better. I want you to experience life as it was meant to be. God's best is what they're going for as they travel together as the people of God in the book of Joshua. This is an important thing for us because this seems to be the place that we're in as a church as well, that God seems to be calling us to go for more, to receive more, to take hold of more, to go into a better place. I can't really explain this except to just explain that I think somehow in God's providence, preparing me for the day in which I would get a call from Mike Maxey and the rest of the search committee asking me to consider to come here and just through all the things that God was doing in my life and preparing me to be here, one of the things that's happened to me over the last year and a half 
is a bit of a death in me, in a very positive way. There was a time in my life in which I really wanted to be a big-time preacher. I was going to make some cards that said, Big-time ministries, J. Josh Smith. <laughs> in which there was a hope that people beyond my local setting would know who I was, and I would get invited to all kinds of places to preach, and I could go on and on about all of those things. But I'm telling you before God that where I am right now is I want to be right here loving my wife, loving my family, and helping this church accomplish every single thing God intends for us to accomplish, and I don't care if anybody else knows about it but us. That's where I am. But I'll tell you what, and by the way, that's enough work right there. Let me just tell you something. I want us to get everything God has for us. I want you as an individual, because I don't just love you all, I love you. I mean that. Seriously, I pray for you and I love you. I want you to take hold of God's best. I want you in your life and in your marriage and your family to get everything God has for you. And I don't know what that is. All I know is that God has things that he wants us to take hold of. And sometimes we get them and sometimes we miss out on them. The Old Testament teaches us that. But here is a generation who watched the previous generation miss out on God's best. This generation in Joshua wants to take hold of God's best and they show us how it's done. That's really what I want to talk about this morning, taking hold of God's best. This is for you individually and as a church. And we have no idea what God is going to do in your life individually or in a church. There's all kinds of things around the corner. All we know is that we just want to trust the Lord in his leadership and not miss anything that he wants to do in us. So how is it that we take hold of God's best? I want you to write this down because I believe this is, comes directly from the book of Joshua. And then I'm going to show us how it applies to us right now. How do we take hold of God's best? The first thing is this. Please write this down. Is God summons us to greater things. He summons us to greater things. Now as a preacher, words matter. And I think about words a lot. When I came to this moment, I could have said God calls us, God invites us, but I love the word summons because it means to urgently demand. It is not an invitation. It's a demand. And it's an urgent demand. This is what God does. God urgently demands us. He summons us. And I think the way in which this process begins is by God putting inside of our hearts a sense that there's something more. There's, there's, there's something more. There's got to be more than this. I'm confident there are unbelievers in this room this morning. Those of you who have not trusted Christ. Uh, maybe you've thought about him but haven't trusted him. Maybe you've been cynical and sarcastic about him. Maybe you've constantly questioned him. I want to say this. That if God is stirring in your heart, there will be at the very beginning a sense that there has to be more to life than this. This cannot be it. And let me tell you something. That if you're beginning to feel that, let me remind you, that is the beginning of God calling you to himself. Because he is getting you ready for the next summons, which is this. Come and follow me. I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Everything you have been searching for, all of your discontent is leading you to this moment in which you see the beauty and the glory of Christ. And you finally give yourself and surrender to him because you believe that he's better than anything in your past. And do you know 
that this continues to happen to us all throughout life. God continues to give us a little holy discontent. Not a negative discontent, but just a sense that, God, I, there's, there's got to be more than this. I was just, this last week, God is my witness. This is true. The Lord's been stirring this in me lately, and I, I began to write this last week. Just the sense that I have in my heart that, that, that we're missing something. I don't know how to say that, but just that there's more. <laughs> there's more. There's better things. There's more. And I don't want to be content ever to play church. I want us to take hold of everything God has for us. And I'm in a moment where God is stirring that up in me. And I believe that when he starts to stir that, it will be followed by a summons, an urgent demand of some type of obedience. So if you've never trusted Christ and you sense in your heart there is something more, that is God saying to you, the something more is Jesus and he's better. And even among us, if there is in your heart as a believer a sense that, God, there's got to be more to this, know that that's God that is doing that. He is stirring that in your heart. And he is summoning you to, to more. He's eagerly demanding that you come, whole, come home to him and, and take hold of all that he has for you. Because listen, you have to believe this. When God summons you into something new, when he summons you to go further, to give more, to trust more, to love more, it is always a summons to greater things. Always. Now, let me define greater things. I could spend 30 minutes talking to you about the way in which God, at multiple times in my life, has prepared me for something I didn't know what it was, and that thing he was preparing for me was some of the hardest things of my life. Hard things. So just because God's summoning you to greater things doesn't mean he's not going to bring you into hard things. All I'll know is this, on the other side of that, you will look back if you trust Jesus and realize that hard thing was a greater thing. That all of these things, God is working together for our good and his glory. And when Matthew was in his tax collector office and Jesus said, come and follow me, and he had to leave everything to follow Jesus, what he believed is this, Jesus was better. And when Peter had to leave his father's business, he did so because he believed that Jesus was better. And every time God summons us to greater things, we simply have to believe that the God who created us knows us better and he's calling us out because he wants to do something greater in our life. That's exactly the book of Joshua. That he gathers his people and he says, listen, a previous generation missed it, but I want to give you a vision, he says, arise and go over the Jordan, you and the people, into the land that I am giving to you, to the people of Israel, and every place the sole of your feet will tread, I will give to you as I promised to Moses. He constantly emphasizes the land, which is what he had promised generations before. What he says is this, I want to take you and lead you into something better. It will be difficult, it will be hard, but I am summoning you to greater things. It's exactly what the Lord does. God summons us to greater things. Let me just tell you this. Listen carefully. The moment God summons you to something more is a critical moment every time it happens because to not move forward is always sin. If they were to say, Lord, we, we understand that. We just don't want to go there. That's sin. Failing to follow the Lord when he summons us. That's the first part. God summons us to greater things. Let me tell you the second part of this as we're taking hold of God's best. It is this. God demands we take courageous action. 
Write that down. You, you cannot miss this one. God summons us to greater things, makes us discontent, tells us there's something more, begins to stir it in our heart and reveal it to us. The next step is this. Then God demands we take courageous action. A summons is a call to action. When Jesus says, follow me, he is not simply saying, believe that I'm the way, believe that I'm life, believe that I'm truth. What he's saying is this, actually come and follow me. And I think we forget this when we think about what it means to follow Christ. Listen, we are not saved by works. We are saved, Ephesians 2, by grace through faith. It is not of yourself. It is a gift of God, so no one can boast. But that doesn't mean that faith does not work. The evidence of saving faith is not that you say, yes, Lord, I believe you're the way. Evidence of saving faith is then following him on the way. If I go to one of my children who's sitting on the couch and I say, honey, I need you to go and clean your room. And they say, yes, sir, dad, that's a phenomenal idea. Matter of fact, I was just thinking about that myself. I'm gonna go do that. I'm gonna go do that. Then I come back two hours later and they're still sitting right there. There's really no difference in that than me saying, honey, I want you to go clean your room. And to which they respond, yeah, I mean, I like that idea. That's fine, but I just think I'm gonna sit right here. At the end of the day, those two responses are the same. As a matter of fact, in some ways, I'd prefer the honesty of the second response as opposed to the first response. Somehow we think if we say yes to Jesus but never obey, we've actually said yes to Jesus when in reality, we've said yes to something, but it wasn't a real yes unless it's followed by obedience. This is the way it works with Jesus, and no place teaches us that better than the book of Joshua. It is a model for this journey with Jesus and it's reminding us that this call to follow Jesus and to take hold of God's best is a call into strenuous, sustained, cooperating, sacrificial, listen to me, effort. Effort. I preached on this in the book of Philippians when it says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you. My point was this, you must work out what God has worked in. God starts it and God will ensure you go to the end. But this life of following Jesus demands that we walk with him and take action. So he says, hey, I'm summonsing you. I'm saying here's, here's a greater future of better things, but here's what you have to do. Verse six, be strong and courageous. For you shall cause the people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers. Verse 7, only be strong and courageous. Verse 9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Why? Because the Lord knew that in order for them to take hold of what God was going to give them, they had to walk in courageous action. And listen, every single step of the way, the people are actively fighting and engaging in the battle. I just had this thought on, it was like Tuesday, and I thought, why didn't I think of this the, the previous Tuesday? When we talked about Joshua 10 and the sun stood still, do you realize this? God miraculously made the sun stand still for an extra day. Why? So the people could fight longer. So the people could fight longer. You didn't seem to think it was as profound as I did, so maybe I shouldn't have thought about it a week before. I think we, we think about all the miraculous things God's doing. He made the sun stand still so they could fight more. This is the way it works. God will do all of these things in our life because he's calling us to participate with him. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We are co-laborers with the Lord. That we have a role to play in this life of following Jesus Christ. And it is a life 
of sustained, continuous effort. And I don't know how we got to the place where we begin to believe that life of following Jesus doesn't demand that kind of effort. Because the reality is a refusal to put in the effort and the work is simply a refusal to receive the command when God summons you to greater things. So God summons us to greater things. He demands we take correct, courageous action. Here's the last part. God then sustains us, listen to this, with magnificent promises. God sustains us with magnificent promises. Think about how it's working. There's gotta be something more. There's gotta be something more. That's preparing us for something. And God says, I want to summons you to something greater. He, he shows us a greater reality. But then all of a sudden we discover in order to get to that greater reality, we've got to go all in. We've got to leave something. We've got to grab hold of something else. We go take hold of that thing. And all along the way, it's hard and it's risky and it's scary. You say, well, how does God sustain us as we're moving forward with him? The answer is this. He sustains us with magnificent promises. He says, every place that the sole of your foot, verse three, will tread upon, I have given to you just as I promised to Moses. He says in verse six, be strong and courageous for you shall cause the people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers, only be strong and very courageous. He says in verse nine, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So you're going to move, you're going to go, it's going to be hard, but every moment of the way I will be with you, I'm with you, I'm for you, I am able. And remember what we talked about last week. Every step of the way, in every single chapter of the book of Joshua, there is another reminder that he's with them, that he loves them, that he's fighting for them and with them, that he is able to accomplish everything that concerns him, just like our life of following Jesus Christ. Every step of the way, he gives us magnificent promises to remind us that he is able and that he is for us. And the only way we can be sustained in this journey of following Jesus Christ is by realizing that every promise is yes in Jesus Christ. This is why I continue to encourage you to be in this book every single day because if you're attempting to walk with the Lord and not constantly being reminded of his promises, you will not be sustained. You will find yourself absolutely worn out and exhausted. He sustains us with his word. This is how it works. Discontent summons us to something greater. He calls us to take courageous action and then he sustains us with magnificent promises. You say, what does that mean for us as a church? Well, well, let me explain. There is no question in my mind that God has us in the book of Joshua for a moment like this. That God is, by his grace, I believe, giving us holy discontent. I hear it from you. You know that God did not move you to this location to just settle. You know that God has something more. You know that there is a longing in your heart to take hold of everything that God has promised you. I hear that from you. I know that that is true. I know that it's true for many of you individually, a longing to receive something more. God's putting a desire in our heart, a vision in our mind, a stirring in our spirit for something better. And he's calling us to take a hold of it. And you say, well, how is it that we take a hold of that? How do, how do we get all that God has for us? If what I believe God is stirring in my heart is a desire to simply do everything and be everything he wants from us right now, how do we go get that? It's the exact same way. Let me talk about that with you for just a minute. God is summoning us to greater things. 
As a church, as a family, God is summoning us to greater things. We're in a Joshua 1 moment in which the God is saying, I want to do something more for you. There's a, there's a better future ahead. I was telling somebody this morning, I knew eventually, I mean, I assumed, I hoped that we would go to two services. I didn't want to do it now. I wanted another year for a lot of reasons. But listen, when you spend about four months at 94% capacity and there's no more parking, well, you got to respond to what God is doing. This is not us forcing an agenda. This is God calling us into something more. Do you realize that? This is not our, we're not trying to do this. God is blessing us and we're responding to the blessing of God. So what do we do? We say, Lord, we weren't expecting this, but we hear the summons. We have a a discontent and we, we feel and sense you calling us into something greater. So we respond. How do we respond? We respond, listen, By opening another service, which do you know gives us a thousand more seats for a thousand more people to come to Jesus Christ. It's not so you can have a place to put your Bible where that comfy chair you used to have, where you had a a seat on this side. Those were the good old days. A seat here and a seat here. Listen. You say, why are we going to two services? Because we believe there's at least a thousand more people in this community that need to know Jesus Christ. We're, we're essentially planting a church. We're saying, God, here's a bunch of empty seats. How are we going to fill them? You're going to go get them. And I'm going to go get them. We're going to get them in. We're going to bring them in. And we're going we're to equip them to do what God has called them to do. We're opening uh, about 10 new community groups. Why? Because we need a place for younger singles and older singles and for couples and for children. And all of these things are going to be provided. And what we have to do in this moment is believe that where God is leading us is better. Because where he leads us is always better. And to ignore it or to reject it and not move forward is to miss the very thing that God wants to do in our lives. Let me remind you of this. A summons always demands we leave something in order to get something better. So there is sacrifice involved. Say, oh, I want that. Well, okay, in order to get that, you got to leave that. And sometimes we're really comfortable with that, and we don't want to leave that. But what God is saying is, do you want this? Yes. Well, then praise the Lord, you've got to go there, but in order to go there, you have to leave something else. There is never obedience without some sort of disruption. It'll cost us something, but can I assure you of this? The cost of what you leave will pale in comparison to what you get as you obey. More of Christ and more of his blessing. God is summonsing us to something better, to greater things. The second part is this. God is demanding we take courageous action. I would say my, my, my greatest concern in this moment for our church Listen carefully here to me. I, I really have prayed that I would, I would do this, this moment in the right spirit. My biggest concern is that may we, we may want something but not be willing to put the effort in to get it. Because this is a moment that demands effort from us. There, there, there needs to be a shift in our thinking. I think about uh, J.D. Greer in the book he wrote, Gaining by Losing. He says the church is not a cruise ship where this is about my comforts and my needs and my conveniences, where I have come to be served. That's such a subtle thing in our church when we come to receive, not to serve. 
where we're frustrated by any inconvenience or when our preferences are not met. That's the cruise ship mentality because we think that everything exists so that I come here on Sunday morning, everything's just exactly the way I need it. And if it is, I'm happy and I'm good and not writing emails to the pastor. We're just, everything's good. That's cruise ship. We're not a cruise ship. As a matter of fact, he goes on to say we're not, we're not even a, a battleship where we've all come together to, to do something great for the Lord. No, we're an aircraft carrier is what we actually are. We're getting a bunch of people on board in order to equip them and launch them out to accomplish the mission that God has given us. That's what we are. The goal is not just a greater Sunday experience. The goal is to call us into action to do something more than just gather. I just, listen, God has us at a moment here. I just, and listen, just, I was talking to our staff this week. A hard thing about a moment for me like this is I'm a preacher. I want to preach, but God's also called me to pastor. And so sometimes I've got to step aside just a little bit from the word of God, but say to you as a family, family, we've got to, we got to do some stuff because it's what God's called me to do to shepherd you. And I'm just here to say to you this morning, I know we're excited about what God is doing, but it is impossible for us to fulfill what God is calling us to, listen, without every one of you working. I got one amen, and I think it was from a staff member. <laughs> I think it was you, Sky, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So let me just be practical. What you got in your bulletin this morning is this little thing right here. You, listen to this. I had all the staff go independently of one another and say, tell me what it's gonna take for you to go to two services and for us to accomplish what God has for us. They came back with 330 needs. Now, we shouldn't laugh at that. You know why? Because there's more than 330 people in this room. That's not a big deal. But we're all gonna have to do something, every one of us. We've called this Serve One because we are one people, one mission. What we're asking you to do is every member to commit to one year of service. Now, why that? Because in most Baptist churches, if you sign up for something, you can never get out. We want to leave you an opportunity to, to, to get out, and we want to leave us an opportunity to say to you, you might should consider something else next year. We love you, but that disgruntled face isn't great at the front door. Can we put you somewhere else, man? So what we're saying is this, every one of you involved, look at this, look at this. Do you see this right here? This is not like, we didn't just come up with like random stuff. Every single one of these are, are things that we need desperately in order to pull this off. And I just want you to say, to, to see, you can be as excited as you want to about what God's doing in our church, but if you can't get on board with this, your excitement's not really helping us that much. Like this, this is not a club that we join. This is a partnership and we're engaged together in pulling off what God has called us to do in this place. Man, I could, I, could, I could stand here for an hour and tell you dramatic needs that we have. Our preschool ministry is dying for volunteers. I mean, I'm talking, it's unbelievable how difficult a time we're having. And you know, if every community group class and if every parent would just volunteer once a quarter, four times a year. I know what you're thinking, but Pastor Josh, we don't want to miss your sermon. I know, I get it. I feel the same way. <laughs> but it's live stream. You can watch with my mom. She watches five or six times a week. You can watch it as much as you want. 
four times a year. Do you know this? We wouldn't have to pay one preschool worker. Our entire needs would be met four times a year. But we're not even close to that. We cannot pull this off. We cannot get the greater things without every single person involved. So what we're asking you to do is take the next three weeks, fill this out, turn it in in one of the boxes around. If you have more questions about these things, there are tables lined out there with people ready to answer any of your questions and sign you up. I think some of them are even doing promotional deals. I don't know what it is, but you, we're, listen, you have to do something. Why? Because we can't get the greater things God has for us without doing that. I just think about Joshua chapter 8. Listen, as God called the people of God to go take Ai, and Joshua was the one leading the charge, do you know what it tells us? There were 30,000 men who fought that battle and won that battle, and we don't know any of their names. But there's no way they win the battle without 30,000 men involved. Listen, the truth is, is that we've got to move forward as a faith family, accomplishing what God has for us with every single one of you having a job. So God's summoning us to greater things. He is demanding our courageous action. Let me just remind you of this. God is sustaining us with magnificent promises. God is preparing us for this. I, I, was, I was talking to, uh, I was at actually Andrea's family's house on uh, Friday night. And I was talking to her brother-in-law, my, her brother, my brother-in-law, who's a pastor. And I said, I can't really understand what God is doing right now. God just seems to be opening up heaven and dumping out resources on us. And the only answer is this, is because God's preparing us for what's next. We don't know what it is. He knows what it is. And so he's entrusting us with things for the days ahead. What more could God do? What more could God do to remind us that he is with us and he is for us? We asked for a million dollars in five weeks. We got $1.6 million. We're $750,000 over budget. We have people joining every single week. We're filling up the sanctuary. God is saying, he's yelling to us, why would you question me? I can do this. I'm able. I know you want greater things. The Lord says, I want them more. I'm, I'm, I'm calling you to this. Just come and take courageous action. The Lord is shouting to us that he is with us and he is ready if we're ready to take courageous action. Listen, part of my calling, just as calling, just as, as an individual, is not just to preach and to pastor. Part of my calling is to call people into greater things. That's the reason I get fired up on sermons like this, this is what God's called me to do. I, I want to call you in to greater things. Now, the danger of that calling is that I, what I'm always doing is I'm always going to ask you to give more, to serve more, to love more, to do more. I'm going to constantly be asking why. Because I'm calling you into greater things. But I love it. You know why I love it? You know why I, without any reservation, ask you to give more? Because I believe every time you take a step of obedience, God's calling you into greater things. I believe that God rewards those who serve. He rewards those who give. He rewards those who are faithful. So I don't have any problem calling you out to walk in greater faith and trust and obedience because I'm always confident that God will bless that. This is a big moment for us. It's a big moment for you. This is not a cruise ship and I'm not your activities director. This is a moment in which we say as a faith family, we're going to take hold of everything God has for us and we're going to go for it. And let me tell you what it starts. It starts this morning with you making sure that you have received the summons to follow Jesus. I just, I have a hard time believing you could hear this message and say, well, I don't want to serve and have an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. That worries me. 
that you've said yes to Jesus, but you haven't really said yes to following him. And maybe you made a decision years ago. Maybe you've never made a decision. Can I plead with you this morning? Begin a life of following Jesus. Trust him enough to give yourself fully to him. Follow Jesus. And it continues by your ongoing commitment to serve the Lord through your ministry in the church. I pray by God's grace that he would take us into greater things as we seek to follow him. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning.